You're listening to DraftKings Network. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to Arthur Bean's Rule of Two. Those of you guys that came from the Cinephobe past, you guys know about this. We've been doing this for the last couple of years with regards to Star Wars conversations about movies, about the TV shows, and most importantly, with people who like Star Wars that you also like. You've got guests like Freddie Prince Jr. in the past had Pablo Torre in the past. We've had Yuna Suatamo, of course, who played Chewbacca in the sequel trilogy. Think of this as a recurring kind of place where you get to nerd out on some Star Wars stuff. And now it's going to be here as part of the mystery crate in the Levitard and Friends universe. So thank you for giving this a chance. If you're not a Star Wars fan, and if you are a Star Wars fan, I think you're going to be really pleased by what you're going to find here. We're going to recap every episode of the Book of Boba Fett that just premiered this week on Disney+. Plus. We'll go behind the scenes. We'll give you Easter eggs. Do all that good stuff, right? Kind of like some companion content. My co-host and my producer is Anthony Mays. Mays, what's up, man? Yo, promoted from Sith Apprentice to... Co-host. Yeah. What a rise in the last year for me. Yes, exactly. And and as long as you don't do anything, because at the end of every Sith relationship, remember, it's the rule of two. There can always be two, a master and apprentice. And it always ends with either the apprentice overtakes the master and becomes a master him or herself, or the master kills his apprentice and finds a new, stronger one. So, so the Sith don't have a co-master setup. That doesn't exist. Not really. Yeah. So you're still my apprentice. Someone's always got the upper hand, just like in Succession. Wrong TV show. <laughs> Cued up. <laughs> Find it wherever you get podcasts. And while you're at it, Cinephobe, please like and subscribe, rate, review on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. All right. So a lot of people were excited for this, and it's pretty much the most anticipated Star Wars property this year because we haven't gotten much else. But Maze, let me ask you a question before we dive into this episode. Are you a big Boba Fett fan, like as the character? He's always been super cool. It's undeniable that he's a cool guy, but it's almost as if there's more hype than substance up to this point. He does have the origin story in the new 
trilogy, not the newest trilogy, but episode one, two, three. Prequel trilogy. That was cool. But I like this actor, Tamara Morrison. I like what he's doing with this new Boba Fett. I think this is the most I've ever liked him. Yeah, it's funny because I was never, I'm like you, like he's cool, but I never felt like I wanted to know more. That was my whole thing. Is like before the prequel trilogy, People were like clamoring for Boba Fett's my favorite character. It's like he's in five scenes. He says like three words. He's no good to be dead. What was the infatuation? I never got. Then we get the prequel. We find out the origin story that he's a clone and his father, Django, was basically what they cloned all the clones off of. And in payment, Boba was a unadulterated clone baby that Django then raised as his son. And then, of course, Django dies when Mace Windu beheads him in the stadium at Geonosis. And we see in the Star Wars Clone Wars series that Boba grows up kind of like this wayward youth, wrong side of the tracks, and follows in his father's footsteps and becomes a bounty hunter. And for most of Clone Wars, he's just a brat, although he's a brat in jail at one point, which is kind of weird. We see him kind of growing in power. And then there's nothing, right? Until obviously he dies in Return of the Jedi, or so we thought. Dun, dun, dun. And so there's this clamor for people like, maybe he didn't die. I'm like, why did you need him? I, I never understood that. I never understood the desire. Like, oh, it should have been more Boba Fett. I thought he kind of served his purpose. I guess he serves as a pretty good antagonist to Han Solo, who is by far the coolest character from the original trilogy. So in the sense that he went toe-to-toe with Han, they clearly had a previous relationship of going after the same bounties or the same fares. That's kind of cool. But yes, it doesn't totally make sense how he became so legendary. Other than you watch the documentary on Disney Plus under the helmet. It's all about Boba, like the Boba Fett character, the making of the Boba Fett character. Mm -hmm. It's really fascinating because, first of all, they made him for like the Christmas special, which is the animated cartoon. He wasn't even in the movie before the movie came out. There was such a a strong reaction that they kind of included him after that. And there was all these testings about what the armor should look like. And obviously there weren't Mandalorians at this point in the original trilogy. So the look of the Mandalorians being looking kind of like medieval knights with this thin visor and all that. Mm -hmm. It's really, really fascinating how he came to life. So anyways, fast forward. We know that he comes back in The Mandalorian Season 2. We know he's all scarred up and he's dressed like a Tusken Raider. We don't really know what he's been up to. And we know at the end of The Mandalorian Season 2, he gets his armor back from Din Djarin, the Mando, and goes back to Tatooine, where he kills Bib Fortuna, Jabba's old right-hand man, who has now risen to the crime boss status, and sits on the throne at Jabba's palace. And so... Boom, we open episode one. He's in a back to tank and he's having flashbacks to trauma throughout mm. his life maze. Little dreamscape of filling in the exposition of what happened between the Sarlacc pit and the Mando. And then now, before that, like we, we've got scenes from episode two of the waves crashing on Camino and then him picking up his father's decapitated head, doing the typical movie. Let, let's show him like in distress. As he kind of shakes his head back and forth. And by the way, the back to tank, if anyone follows me on Twitter, wonders why I'm called chilling in my back. To, that's a back to tank. That's basically what I'm doing. I'm just laying here, letting the healing effects of the back to juice return my body to its natural state. Yeah. And the shot of him with the respirator 
definitely calls back to Luke and Empire Strikes Back. Also, Vader in Rogue One, mm-hmm. who has a back to tank in his castle on Mustafar. The playoffs have started in basketball and hockey, and there's really only one way that I can enjoy it. For me, drinking Miller Lite while the action is going on makes the game that much more exciting and that much more delicious. A lot has changed over the years, but one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. So what do you look for in a light beer? Great taste or less filling? For me, it's great taste and less filling. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, and only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right at your door, visit MillerLite.com slash crate, C-R-A-T-E. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer. We got a lot of flashbacks, and one of the flashbacks lands us in the Sarlacc pit, inside like it's inner workings. I mean, I guess the stomach. Whatever the Sarlaccs have, yeah. He sees a stormtrooper not too far away who's dead inside there, goes over there, fights his way over, grabs the guy's oxygen hose and shoves it into his mask, giving him some precious breaths before he lights his flamethrower on and then eventually crawls out of the pit right near the wreckage of jabba's barge yes the absolute husk of a wreckage i'm gonna be honest with you maze i'm not happy that they shortened it to just that that was just too quick i wanted a more involved escape from the sarlacc how much more involved could it be if he's in a giant stomach <laughs> it's not like there's doors or guards to get past it's just kind of cut your way out well finding kind of almost like video game style having to craft his exit using things that are already in there other dead bodies and and things that might be on their person i'm all for the beskar which is what his Mandalorian armor is made out of, protecting him from the digestive acids inside the Sarlacc. But all he had to do was just shove his arm out and light some shit on fire and then come out. Like I just felt like that was a little too simplistic. And I thought we could have spent a lot more time, even him just kind of like on some James Franco, 127 hours, <laughs> right? Like I wanted something like that. I don't know if you noticed this, Maze. The first nine minutes of this show, there's not a single word spoken. Oh, I was well aware. It made note-taking quite easy if you don't have to write down any dialogue ever. Same note too, bro. But in regards to the escape being too short, I see what you're saying because he's the only person to theoretically have ever done it. Mm -hmm. So you're chalking all that up to his armor protected him. His armor was better than the stormtrooper's armor. Sure. And that's the only reason he's alive. Yeah. Because anybody else that makes it to that point just gets digested. Pretty much. And even the Stormtrooper armor, I wish they had shown... It more degraded or... Yeah, like big patches open where the acid just ate through it. Like it just looked like the Stormtrooper like just died. And I was going to say maybe he asphyxiated, but then he steals his oxygen thing. So it's clearly not not a breathing thing. So I just, I don't know, man. He should have done the Beatrix kiddo when she gets buried alive and just one hand punched his way until he slowly punched his way through the Sarlacc. That would have been more... Uh, claustrophobic and affecting for you right if it had been drawn out more so he gets out of sarlacc and promptly passes out at which point jawas show up and of course steal his shit (laughs) which i I love i love that jawas are just like the ultimate assholes of star wars the inevitable you take a nap 
we're coming to get all your shit, bro. And to make matters worse, now as his naked, or not naked, but he's wearing like those weird old-timey prospector pajamas underneath mm-hmm. the onesie, right? Long johns. Every bounty hunter needs a good pair of long johns. I was kind of surprised at that for some reason. I thought, I don't know. I thought he'd be wearing something else. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. The Tuscan Raiders find him, and then they enslave him pretty much they do squirt some carrot goo in his mouth which seems to revive him i wasn't quite sure what that was exactly yeah let's look that up and i couldn't find anything to explain what that was it's worth noting that tuscan raiders after they got humanized in the mandalorian they're back to being just like these savage assholes yep the other inevitable <laughs> who enslave people and beat the shit out Tatooine's of them. really predictable you know you got jawas you got tuscan raiders they're all gonna roll through at some point they beat the shit out of them oh yeah i didn't get that part like he's, he's already enslaved he's already in chains why did they just sit there and beat the shit out of them it is initiated by the youngling the youngling is curious and wakes him up and then they got the leader Drinking from the gourd, kind of observing, but yes, it's just yeah. Welcome to the OC, bitch. Yeah, <laughs> kick the shit out of you right now. All right, so wakes up, he's tied to a post. There's a Rodian tied to another post. There's some weird lizard dog. It's called the Massive. He's trying to cut through the ropes. He's trying to like rub it off the post, trying to get some friction there to ultimately fray the the ropes that bind his hands. The Massive wakes up. There's a fun scene there where he's looking at the Massive and the Massive is looking at him. And he's kind of like, I'm going to still keep doing this if you're not going to do shit. Mm -hmm. Massive comes up. He chokes it out, then uses its teeth to cut the ropes, turns to the Rodian and says, do you want me to cut your binds as well? And this bitch out here... (laughs) snitching loud he's so mad. <laughs> mm-hmm. i was so upset man i said no wonder han shot first you guys can't be trusted for shit yeah not a good showing for rodians in this episode oh my god not at all so they come out he escapes he runs they chase him down and then they have this weird one-on-one confrontation which w- what appears to be a female tuscan did you catch that same vibe maze something was up with this lieutenant here I wonder if they're going to ever get into more than just Tuscan Raiders or Tuscan Raiders. It doesn't really seem like it because if they can't talk, it's kind of hard. Future callback, the end kind of gets us to that point. A little bit, yeah. But this a little bit. particular Raider that beats the bricks off of Boba is clearly the most skilled. Oh, yeah. Stepped into the the ring like, yo, let me handle this shit and just completely hands Boba his ass. Now that you mentioned that it's might be female. There was part of me that was wondering if maybe this was Fennec undercover. I have no idea if people can infiltrate the Tuscan tribe. Kind of feel like they would know, right? Seems like it, but that definitely crossed my mind, but it's not likely. Is there anyone that we've seen in the Star Wars universe who speaks Tuscan? Didn't it happen last season? No, Mando did sign language with them, mm. but not like the the sand people, as they call them. No one has spoken the tongue of the sand people. Anyway, flashback to reality. Oops, it goes gravity. And Boba hops out the back to tank, puts on the best car. It's all new and refurbished and repainted. The classic... Suiting up, armor on, sequence. The music was great. Yep. I dig it. Sits on the throne and starts receiving all the people coming to pay tribute. We've got Doc Strassi, Trandoshan, 
If you're wondering what a Trandoshan is, that's what Bosk, remember Bosk the bounty hunter from Empire Strikes Back when mm-hmm. the first time we see Boba, it's him, it's Bosk, which is a lizard guy, it's IG-11, and that's when Vader says, no disintegration. Doc Strassi, who is a local crime lord, comes to pay tribute, and Boba muses that, hey, I used to work for that guy, mm-hmm. and now he works for me. First, there's an Aqualish, and they can't understand him. They decide they need a protocol droid. Shout out to C-3PO. Then Doc Strassi is played by Robert Rodriguez himself. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And he brings a Wookiee pelt, which is a shout out to the Trandoshan tradition known as bloodletting, where young Trandoshans kill Wookiees as a rite of passage. The Trandoshans and the Wookiees are not friends, famously, in the galaxy. Shout out to Kashyyyk. And they call him the new... Daimyo, which is a term from Japan that refers to one of the great lords who were vassals of the shogun. Lots of samurai terms, right? Because when the mayor's age shows up, they call him the major domo, mm-hmm. which I always thought about was a restaurant in Vegas, but also <laughs> apparently it's a it's a samurai term. And that is no surprise because we know George Lucas was heavily influenced by samurai movies. And on top of that, obviously, John Favreau, who wrote this episode, obviously executive producing the show, as well as Dave Filoni. So we find out in a roundabout way that not only has the mayor not showed up to pay tribute, the mayor's majordomo doesn't pay tribute either. Rather, he demands tribute. I'm the crime lord. He's supposed to pay me. Yeah. Fennec offers to kill him, which I love. And he says he works for the mayor, so don't kill him. (laughs) Yeah, it's not clear. It's like, (laughs) I'm not 100% on where you're at here. Meanwhile, by the way, do you know who plays the droid 8D8? One of the greatest voices out there, Matt Barry. Yeah. Richard Iowade was a robot voice. Yes, he was. We're both on the IT crowd together. So yes, they were. The go-to. All we're missing now is my man Roy from the IT crowd. Right? <laughs> yeah. Chris O'Dowd. I'm sure he'll make his entrance into the Star Wars universe at some point. But Matt Barry, of course, is most recently known for what we do in the shadows. Laszlo. He plays Laszlo, the rakish european vampire i don't know about you mace i always get a kick out of in the mandalorian and now in book of boba when there's a voice actor and or like an actor who's it's not clear who they are and i know exactly who it is immediately so horatio sands right in that first episode Mm -hmm. like oh that's horatio sands like i could tell by his voice jason sudeikis as a scout trooper Mm -hmm. and now obviously matt berry as 8d8 the it's not a protocol droid i guess he's just a droid what does he do? Does he just announce things? Well, he's from Return of the Jedi, where he was a torturer. Oh. He brings up torturing for the next yeah. introduction, which is the Gamorians, the pigmen. Yes. But he wants to torture them. And in Return of the Jedi, he tortured. And now he seems to just be the only droid left in Jabba's palace. So now he's, he's basically serving as a protocol droid, even though he doesn't have those capabilities doesn't speak to 7 million languages or whatever it is that C-3PO speaks. Boba chooses to give mercy to the Gamorans and instead says, will you serve me as, you know, fiercely as you served Bib and, and Jabba before them? And they say, yes. Fennec doesn't like that idea. Thinks you should kill him. Not even because you can't trust them, but because you have to project in Tatooine strength and like ruthlessness. And Boba seems very hell-bent on not being that kind of boss. Now, here's another problem I had with this episode. We get this kinder, gentler Boba, but there's no explanation why. 
Yeah, why isn't he just ruthless at this point? That's a good question. The character in Mando season two was pretty helpful. Once he gets his armor back, which is really his only quest in that season, he's a supportive ally to Mando during the closing episodes there. So maybe his endless wandering around the desert settled his bloodlust. And he does say later on that he wants to rule with respect, which but why might not work for the place that he's in. No, absolutely. That's Fennec's whole point. Yeah. Even as they're walking from the palace, they're going to one of the local establishments. She says, you need to be carried in the litter. And he says, no, I'm going to walk. And she says, it's not about like whether you can walk or not. It's about sending the message to these people that it's business as usual. And again, I'm not so sure about where Boba's Zen attitude comes from it is possible that java just ruled this way and that's the only way that's ever been done so maybe he just disagrees with that did we ever get any sense that boba disapproved of java no no, that's what i'm saying back in the day no he just was a loyal errand boy by the way shout out to the guy who plays the major domo david pasquese yeah from deep julia louis dreyfus's slimy husband (laughs) he's always philandering about and he's a twi'lek he is a Twi'lek. There are lots of Twi'leks, as is the proprietor of the bar. Her name is Garza Whip, and she's played by Jennifer Beals. From Flashdance, the L word. Looking good. Looking great. Putting out a little bit of tension with our guy Boba. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. It's the tiniest bit. They pay the tribute, gold coins in the helmet. She's also got those hot servants, the green and yellow Twi'leks. Yeah. Come out and offer to service their helmets. Touch on me. Your royal helmet is clean, your highness. <laughs> they leave. They get ambushed. And Maze, let me just say right now, the choreography in this ambush leaves a lot to be desired. It was so slow and clunky that behind the scenes footage that we saw the Obi-Wan series where we see Ewan McGregor and Hank Christensen working day and night on choreography. (laughs) Like, that didn't happen on this one. No. These guys are assassins that come somersaulting in like it's Power Rangers episode. But then their weapons are big cattle prods and laser shields. And it's just so slow. Even when they, like, they hit Fennec, she gets electrocuted. But it's so over the top. Like, uh, I felt like they didn't put enough time into this. Much like, by the way, did you notice in a lot of the landscape shots, the volume, which is this weird LED dome that they shoot all of these things on better than a green screen because it's not projected. They actually, the actors see the backgrounds and the things on them. There was zero texture. It wasn't like Mandalorian where you looked at it and you thought, oh my God. Are they outdoors? Are they like in Death Valley or whatever? Watching this, I could tell in the background, oh, that's so flat. That's obviously a picture. It felt like green screen. Yeah, this scene probably was green screen. I thought most of the episode was good, though. Like all of the stuff out in the desert. and No, the stuff in the desert was, for me, was I could tell immediately, like, oh, it looks like it's green screen. And then finally, we get the guys escaping by a parkour. Again, the slowest parkour ever. I thought the parkour was pretty cool. I like the shots of Mosespa. And I thought this part was cool. It was very predictable, but I thought it looked good. You know, there's two of them. He says he tells her alive, so you know, one of these muscles will make it. So, 
And sure enough, she throws one off the top of the building and apprehends the other. So surely these guys are from the mayor and they're the other delegation that the major domo referenced earlier. And so we have an antagonist to Boba here that's going to be introduced at some point. I have no idea who's playing him, but I'm intrigued. We go back to a flashback. Now, the child Tusket is leading Boba and the snitch-ass Rodian across the desert. I didn't get this shit at all. Me neither. They went and they spied on some people, like, robbing somebody? Like a biker gang? Yeah, so we got some speed bikers robbing a moisture farm. They scrawl a symbol on the house that looks like a capital J and a capital L, but it's going to be whatever faction they represent. And... I saw some stuff that suggested they were maybe the mining collective that Timothy Oliphant was talking about last season. Oh, but yeah. I think that this is more just a different type of gang. Yeah, just a random gang. I don't, I don't get the feeling of organized crime here. There's a power vacuum without Jabba, so there's more little troublemakers like this. But yeah, this is just seeding some future conflict. I think we're going to be going back and forth between... Pre-Mando and post-Mando. For the whole time? Definitely for a couple more episodes. This storyline doesn't feel done at all. No, not at all. So anyways, they're near the moisture farm. So I guess the reason they went out there was so that the Tuscan could make them dig for moisture. Dig for mm. these gourds that are filled with water. Hubba gourds. While they're digging, the Rodian uncovers some kind of sand monster. First, I thought it was a crate dragon, but then realized, no, this thing looks like Goro from Mortal Kombat. Yeah, same no two, bro. <laughs> Four arms. But it does use the middle arms like legs, which I liked. It kills the Rodian. It messes up the Tuscan kid. And then, call back, Boba kills it, much like Princess Leia killed Jabba the Hutt, using the chains of his bondage around the neck and choked it out. Mm. Little kid runs back to the camp with the head of this sand monster, very proud, and we see kind of a begrudging respect begin to ferment between the Tuscans and Boba, and I believe this is going to play in as they're going to take him in. We're going to see him, obviously, in the Mandalorian, dressed like a Tuscan Raider with a Tuscan Raider staff. Mm -hmm. Clearly, there's a relationship that's being built here as a result of him doing this thing. And that's the episode. Pretty quick. Two segments with no dialogue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they introduce the other characters that are going to come into play. And we get a little bit of action sprinkled in there with the attack that you didn't like. Just wanted more. By the way, shout out to the Max Rebo band. Apparently, same band from Jabba's Palace. Oh, boy. Much smaller. They lost all the vocalists. And I learned something quite hilarious today, which is the Max Rebo band are known as Jizz Whalers. Nice. They specialize in jizz songs. I mean, I knew I knew they spoke to me for a reason. <laughs> when they get bribed, they get bribed in New Republic credits. So you can tell that it's post Empire world where the New Republic is the bank as well. Although Tantooine is not in the New Republic, according to my research. Much of the Outer Rim is not in the New Republic. Well, where'd they get the money then? Well, I mean, the money's the money in the same way that like you can go places, lawless places, and they still accept dollars, right? Uh, it's the same thing here. No calamari flan in this episode. No calamari flan, no imperial credits. That's my favorite. That's the only payment I would accept if I were in Star Wars. I like the calamari flan because it looks, it has a lot of the physical properties of actual flan. It's very gelatinous. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, 
Very nice and jiggly. Breakfast oh. calamari flan. <laughs> Breakfast flan. Like a paid in the morning. Boba Fett mentions Anchorhead, which is mentioned in passing by Luke and Star Wars A New Hope. I saw this note, which was kind of interesting and definitely would not have popped up for me. But the score references the score from Solo, specifically the theme associated with the criminal syndicate known as Crimson Dawn. So I wonder if Crimson Dawn will find its way into this show one way or the other. I looked up the symbols just to check. It has nothing to do with the symbol left on the moisture farm. Right. And then in the background, when they're walking through Moss Espa, Boston Dynamics confirmed on Twitter that the droid dogs featured in the episode are, in fact, their spot robots. Wow. Means that Star Wars is now casting real droids. Wow. How about that? Real droids. And finally, Sam Witwer, the voice of Darth Maul from the animated shows and who played Maul in Solo as well, plays the Rodian. Oh, really? So reusing previous canon cast in this episode. So Mace, first blusher, you excited? You were like, okay, this is what I signed up for. I honestly believe that the Disney Plus era of Star Wars content has peaked. I don't think we're going to top Mando season two finale. Right. So this is fine. <laughs> it was 30 minutes. That was chill. I like Tamara Morrison. I like Ming-Na Wen. I'm down to hang out with Boba and Fennec for a little while and see them figure it out. But it's not jaw-dropping in any way. I wanted more. I wanted more in the sense of like, not more as like, I want him to do more stuff. Obviously, I get what the the, the idea is that he's the heir apparent to, or he's the heir to Jabba's place as crime lord of, on Tatooine. I just wanted more exposition. Wow. About what happened to him. Like the exit from the Sarlacc was just so quick. I'm like, come on, man. Like, you, sell it to me. Like, build that tension. And I'm hoping it's not through fl- a whole lot of flashbacks, but I'm hoping they do give some time to tell us, like, what precipitated this change in attitude. Right between him before and even like in this episode we see scenes of him when when in combat where he's got a little bit of crazy on him oh yeah when he's cattle prodding the assassins he gets the boba angry face which he showed off last season in the tragedy episode yes which was also directed by robert rodriguez that was kind of like the backdoor pilot but my guess i mean is just that he's gonna bond with these tuscan raiders and that's gonna soften him and make him appreciate others more i don't know (laughs) i see what your complaint is but the idea of him just coming in and acting like jabba right away i think he's gonna maybe have to build up to that point what other crime syndicates do you think we're gonna see in this series will we see the pikes you already think there's a crimson dawn possibility there obviously the huts are done i guess right are there any more huts that'd be cool I'd be down to see another hut. Shout out to Zero. Is Zero still alive somewhere? The mayor seems like a crime lord. Other syndicates. Black Sun. Will we see the Cremora syndicate? I'm really interested to see how much of this they're going to dig back into. Because we saw all these in the Clone Wars, right? Clone Wars had was really extensive when it came to the crime syndicates and the different criminal activities. For instance, the Pikes controlled the spice trade, right? And they had the spice mines on Kessel. Will we see this continue or did these things continue under the empire? We know Crimson Dawn existed. We know the huts existed. I don't know about the other ones. 
anything else, Maze, that you're thinking about? I'm just curious how long we're going to be jumping back and, forth back and forth between timelines. And I just wonder if we would have been better served doing an episode in the present and then doing a flashback episode as opposed to this alternating storytelling. That's what I felt. I felt like, hey, man, give us one episode of right now. He takes control. People paying tribute. Fennec wants him to be tougher and like more ruthless. He wants to be nice. Why is Boba so nice? Episode two, flashback to the Sarlacc. Earn the respect of the Tuscans. Then grow. Oh, that's why he's like that. Now we're back to the present. But we're going to do a whole 10 episodes of him doing this. I might get exhausted, man. Let me ask you this. Of the spinoff series that we knew that were going to come out, this Disney Plus era, you think it peaked with the Mandalorian season two finale. Was this the one that you were most excited for? Or was there another one that you're like, ooh, I really want to see this one? No, it's definitely a tie between Obi-Wan and seeing Hayden Christensen come back. And then the Ahsoka show with Rosario. I don't get that one. Why bring Anakin back? Why bring Hayden Christensen back? Because as long as the suit is on, I don't care who's in it. All I care about is one thing. Is James Earl Jones doing the voice? That's all I care about. And the number of times that Anakin or Vader doesn't have his helmet on is so limited. So I'm going to get to see scarred Hayden Christensen every once in a while in a back to tank. That was an interesting thing about this episode was the big fight scene. They both have their helmets off because they're conveniently full of coins. Right. Whereas in Mandalorian, the dude literally never takes his helmet off. (laughs) So it's an interesting contrast. Maybe they want to have Darth Vader's helmet off. Would that just be completely unacceptable? The whole point of the helmet is because he can't breathe. He's in the immense pain all the time. Other than fan service of people your age group who grew up with the prequels being their Star Wars and wanting more Hayden Christensen, I don't even think they should meet. I do have questions about what that series is going to do. If you tell me the relationship is going to be Vader and bounty hunters and Inquisitors searching for Obi-Wan, then I'm cool. But if you're telling me like, Vader and Obi-Wan are going to meet and they're going to fight on. I can't have that, man. When we last met, I was but the learner. Maybe they're going to use force time. Oh, yeah, force time. Maybe some late night video chats. Just talk about the good old days. Chat roulette. I'm just more curious about that one. I think the best executed one is going to be the Ahsoka one. Because that's Filoni's... That's his baby. ...narrative coming to a live-action climax... After all the events of Clone Wars and Rebels and will we see Thrawn and will we see Ezra? That's the one that's the most exciting right now. Right. That one has unresolved storylines that we know about, right? The other one I'm really excited for is... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cassian Andor's backstory, his origin story. Cassian Andor, who was, you know, in Rogue One. Diego Luna. Diego Luna's character. I'm not as excited for... The Lando Calrissian one. With Donald? It has to be, right? With your boy? And <laughs> Rangers of the New Republic, which I think might, might be scuttled by now. Yeah, didn't they scrap that when... Uh... They scrapped her. I don't know if they scrapped that. Mm, Gina Carano. The series is still considered on hold as of November 2021. Kathleen Kennedy saying development has not reached a point where scripts were written and felt some ideas for the series would figure into future episodes of the next iteration of Mandalorian. 
Yeah, that sounds like they're killing it. <laughs> I'm also intrigued by Mando's season three. I still think that'll end up being Mandalore. Reconquest of Mandalore. Politics and all that and Katie Sackhoff. All I meant by it's already peaked is that was the biggest escalation and thrill and spectacular cinematic moment. And now they've spread it out to all these different well, shows. I'll say this. Ahsoka has a chance. Maybe not as widespread because not as many people are familiar with that story as they are with Luke Skywalker, obviously. But in terms of a payoff of like, oh shit, we get Thrawn, we get Ezra. We already know that for fact, we're getting Sabine, the person they cast is Natasha Lube Bordizzo. Also, Hollywood Reporter announced that Hayden Christensen would reprise his role as Anakin Skywalker in Ahsoka. Oh, wow. Okay. Which, again, makes sense in flashbacks, right? So maybe that was the thing. I think Hayden Christensen got a bad rap. He was put in a pretty impossible position in 2 and 3, and I don't think that George Lucas really helped him out with his dialogue at all. Right. It's cool that he gets another shot at this and... Maybe he'll be in a really good Star Wars thing and maybe people will cut him some slack now. Let's end with this, Maze. Let me ask you a question. As we see so many canonized movies be redone, rebooted, we know there's a Batman, another Batman coming out, the Batman with, what's his name from Twilight? Pattinson. Yeah, Robert Pattinson, right? Obviously, the Marvel movies, you know, they've done the Hulk 8 million times and Spider-Man 8 million times, whatever. Oh, this last Spider-Man. Gave you some fatigue. So meta. (laughs) I still haven't seen it, so no spoilers here. No spoilers, folks. The new Matrix, same thing. All these repackaged nostalgia content relics from our past. New Matrix is different because it's not a reboot. It's just a sequel. But the whole thing is just that everything is self-aware of what's come before it. Oh, yeah, yeah. My question to you is, knowing that the prequels storyline-wise, are actually very complex and a really crazy-ass story. Would you ever want to see them redone? Let's make this, and let's make it not suck this time. Hmm. I think that would be a little too much because it has to be part of the same universe, and I don't think you can erase any of the trilogies from the existence in the past. What Spider-Man has done, even with Into the Spider-Verse, is that... It acknowledges that all those other things exist and that this is just different. I don't know that Star Wars would have the same level of effectiveness doing it that way. What they've done really well is they've chosen certain parts of the known history to focus in on and give depth to. Right. Best examples being Rogue One. Or Clone Wars. It shows a specific moment and it's like, okay, let's show how this happened. and. That's what they're going to try to do with Obi-Wan, and we'll see. But I don't think that redoing Phantom Menace would work. Right. I always say this. Clone Wars was the series that made me appreciate the prequels. Filling in the gaps. Giving the time and character development and story development of things that happened in the prequels. We're like, wait, what? Now we're doing it. Okay. All right. That was kind of abrupt. Oh, Anakin just, that was it? That's all I had to have for him to turn to the dark side? You get a lot more of that fleshing out through Clone Wars in the same way that Rogue One provides that way. They just got these plans. That's it. That's all it took. And also, wait, why did it take so long to build a Death Star if they started (laughs) at the end of episode three? Yeah, answered all those questions. So that's going to do it for us here in Darth Amin's Rule of Two. As always, tweet us 
I take the Reddit boards as well. If you want to leave comments there, let us know. What do you like? What do you want more of? What do you want less of? Don't say we want less Star Wars. It's going to be pretty Star Wars heavy, at least through the end of this season of Book of Boba Fett. For Anthony Mays, I'm Amino Hassan reminding you, in difficult times, fear is a sure bet. Playoffs have started in basketball and hockey, and there's really only one way that I can enjoy it. For me, drinking Miller Lite while the action is going on makes the game that much more exciting and that much more delicious. A lot has changed over the years, but one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. So what do you look for in a light beer? Great taste or less filling? For me, it's great taste and less filling. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, and only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller Time. To get Miller Lite delivered right at your door, visit MillerLite.com crate, C-R-A-T-E. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer calories and carbs than premium regular beer.